0: That liveth and was dead. Why would he be dead? Because he's the innocent one that died. But he's resurrected from the dead. And so, all in between in understanding this amazing gospel, this good news, uh, is that a person can be saved by this Creator God who loves us more than we could ever know. He died for us in our place. And it it goes against every sense of justice that we're aware of. How in the world can an innocent person die for a guilty person, and the guilty person go free and be treated throughout all eternity to come as innocent? Absolutely innocent uh, and Jesus Christ suffer upon himself the penalty of what we did this, this is an amazing thing it's It's just absolutely amazing, but in the mind of God in his in his incredible genius, uh, he has provided us. His understanding about this mystery that doesn't make any sense whatsoever to rational people in this respect, how could an innocent person die in the place of a guilty person and somehow or other they be converted, at least the way God sees them, from being a monster of iniquity to being someone that he wants to adopt into his family as a son of God, as a child of God. How do we understand such things? I'm going to tell you something, folks. I've thought about this so many times. I have no idea how I got saved. I really don't. I have pondered this thought for many years. I, when During the time that the Lord was drawing me to Himself and eventually uh, put me in the ministry, which He does to every person. Everybody that's a Christian is put in the ministry. I, I have not got with whatever understanding I have gleaned from Scripture over all of these years, I have no clue as to how this could have happened. And, and the reason is because I, I think about how I was all my life from time of birth until this, the Lord entered into my life in a conscious way. And there was nothing in me whatsoever, that uh, would have saved me from my nature, which was to get up every day and just think about myself and how I viewed the world and thought about life and in terms of what I wanted to do. And every day of my life, I would get up that way with my thoughts and my ways. And I lived like that for 26 years. Absolutely. I also believed that everybody else I ever knew lived the same way. I wasn't an oddball in terms of living that way because everybody lives that way. Until this mysterious thing happens that no man can really explain. There's no way you can explain it. It's too high. It's a a mystery that is somehow or other, uh, it resides in the mind of this amazing God. And understanding how a person could get saved the Lord gives us some things that certainly bring us to Christ to the end that we can be saved, but how to enter into the mystery of how an innocent person could die for a guilty person and somehow or other we become converted in the mind of God to be viewed by Him as holy unblameable and unreprovable. I have no clue how to explain that. But I know it's true. I believe it with all my soul that this is something that is is so deep in the nature and character and personality of God that we'll be spending eternity just studying the wonder of it all. Just the wonder of how He could love us the way that He does, but He does. There's no doubt about it. And so, in the book of the Revelation, we have in chapter 1 and verse 18... If you think about it, the same thing that you have in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, where he took coats of skin and he clothed Adam and Eve. You can't do that without an animal dying. And I believe the animals were lambs. They were lambs. And and God himself slew those lambs. Adam and Eve did not go out and, and provide a sacrifice. They didn't. God provided himself a sacrifice in the giving of his own beloved son. It's right there when you think about it. The innocent lamb was a type of Jesus Christ and it's what John the Baptist meant when he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It's as plain as it can be in Scripture. And then when you get to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, he said, I'm he that liveth. And was dead. Who was dead? Well, he tells us. Jesus Christ was dead. Why was he dead? Because of what we read in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 21. He loved Adam and Eve. They were created in his image. And he loved them. And he loved them enough that he would take the penalty of what they deserved upon himself. And die in their place. And give them his righteousness as a free gift. And that's the message of the Bible. From beginning to end. And so it should not be a surprise to us that Genesis and the book of the Revelation would be strikingly similar in terms of the message. And again, the book closes, the 22nd chapter of Revelation closes with a warning about exalting our mind above the mind of the Creator. Do not add to my word. Do not take away from my word. Because if you do, I'll take your name out of the Lamb's book of life. You'll lose your soul forever. And you have this free will. And I will never infringe upon your freedom to choose. But I will give you the reasons in the volume of the book as to why you should fear, not me, because I'm the Savior, but fear yourself. Because it will be you that damns your own soul through unbelief of my word. That's the message of the Bible. God has never condemned anyone. Man condemns himself with his own arrogant pride. And that's how it comes about. And so, the idea that God, in reality is forcing us to be robots is one of the most offensive things that you could ever think toward God because it runs roughshod over the whole meaning of free will. And God does not infringe upon the free will of man. But what He does out of mercy and grace is He teaches us. He brings us to the law, to the schoolmaster. To educate us about himself and about ourselves and the true fear factor. It's not the Savior, it's not the lifeguard. The one to fear is yourself and what you can do with that free will if you choose to use it wrong, the way Adam and Eve did. And if you choose to use it wrong, contrary to my word, as though you're as smart as I am, as though you can improve on my perfection, then you will lose your soul forever. So that's the message of the Bible. And so I think it's very important as we come to these closing thoughts in the book of the Revelation to remember the similarities between how the Bible begins and how the Bible ends. The next subject I want to pick up, and that's a little bit scattered. Some of these thoughts, but uh, there's there's a unity in it that's very important. Um, and some of these things we we've touched on already, but I want to try to put it together in a way that maybe it'll be a little clearer in our thinking. But um. The Lord says three times in this passage, uh, Behold, I come quickly. I come quickly. What does He mean by that? Behold, I come quickly. Uh, In our thinking, the way we usually think of the word quick, we think of something that's that's very sudden or whatever. Uh, And it's it's been 2,000 years. I mean... The Lord gave John this revelation 2,000 years ago. And so what's quick about it? What's quick about His coming? Well, there are different ways to think about how God uses such terms and that's what we want to consider for just a moment. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll show you how Uh, he's using this term. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Now what he's talking about here is the old nature flesh and blood. He's talking about the old nature. It's a corrupt nature. But then he says, I'm going to show you a mystery. Verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're going to be changed. Now, it's important to realize... A great truth that's found in Scripture, and that is, we cannot change our nature. It is impossible. When it comes to the word conversion, uh, which is absolutely necessary to go to heaven, the primary message that you are to, uh, that we are to gather from what God says. Is that we cannot change our nature. We cannot. No matter how long you live, no matter and how much of the Bible you memorize or believe to even be true. In and of ourselves, we cannot change the way we are. Again, I repeat, uh, uh we cannot change any more than a leopard can change his spots, uh, or an Ethiopian his skin. I said that in the reverse order that it's written in Jeremiah, but it's the same. We cannot change the fact that we have a sin nature. We cannot change it. We're we're doomed. If the resources for. Uh, Pleasing God depends upon us. There's nothing we can do. There's two things we need to understand as a a theme in the Bible. Number one, God cannot change. Malachi chapter 4. I am the Lord. I change not. I change not. The essence of Romans chapter 7 is Paul's realization that he can't change either. He said, how to change, I find not. He said, I know what good is, I know what the law says, but how to perform it, I find not. I find a law within myself, and the law within myself is that when I know to do good, I can't do it. And it's a law. And the law is, we can't change. Any more than the Ethiopian can change his skin or the leper's paws. We cannot change our sin nature. This is why, this is the beauty, is a better way to say it, of the deeper meaning of the gift of God. When you realize within yourself there's no way you can be holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight when you realize that in your flesh you can never do that then you can begin to understand the wonder and the mystery of the gift of God that he would give it to us as a free gift and so in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, uh, Verse uh, 50, he's telling us that corruption cannot inherit incorruption. That's a description of the way we are in our nature. That cannot change. But then he says, I'm going to show you a mystery. Now, I've told you from the beginning that salvation is a mystery. I do not understand it. I do not understand why A lot of the people that I grew up with as a boy grew up without Christ. And to this day, as far as I know, have never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. I cannot understand why when I was at East Carolina University, I had these friends that I associated with every day. And Why it was that I responded to God and they didn't, I have no idea. I don't know how to explain that. I just know that I did. There is no question about it. I know that I did. And I know that God started putting a difference between me and my associations. He sure did. Enough so that I began to witness to my professors. I sure did. I think that I've told you this, I I get confused as to where I say stuff, but Dr. John Cozy, Chairman of the Department of Philosophy, was given a paper that I had written on metaphysics, which has to do with origins. And in that paper, I attributed the reason of things to the Creator God. God who created the heavens and the earth. That's metaphysics. If you want to know the answer to the mystery of where life came from, you have to go to the metaphysics of Genesis. I wrote a paper on it. And John Cozy, chairman of the department, had, had someone send for me to come to his office. And I'll never forget it. And I walked in that door. I had no idea why I was in there why I had been called by the head of the department to come to his office. And he looked at me and he said, I read your paper. And he took it and he threw it down on the desk. And he looked at me and he pointed his finger at me. And here's what he said, I'll never forget it as long as I live. He said, said, shape up or ship out this is not acceptable. God had been working on me, putting a difference in my mind concerning everything, my worldview. That's what philosophy is, you know, worldview. And I was falling on the side of creation in my metaphysics. And the chairman of that department, of that evil institution, That citadel of Satan was trying to educate me into a a philosophy that would damn my soul forever. And the Lord used lost people to eventually bring me down here to Southern Pines. The chairman of the Department of Psychology is the one that led me down here to get a job with the state of North Carolina as a juvenile operations counselor. I had no idea who Kent Kelly was or Calvary Memorial Church, and I had never heard of a Christian school that I that was in my acquaintance at all. And little did I know that in out of this with this background of complete ignorance concerning Christian education the Lord would put me here as principal of Calvary Christian School. That is a mystery that is beyond my understanding. But he did it. He sure did. It's a great mystery. And so going back to this is a very long explanation of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. But I wanted to show you what is really meant by the Lord's choice of words in Revelation 22. Behold, I come quickly. It's in verse 52. That's how you understand it. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we should be changed. In the twinkling of an eye. Is that quick? The twinkling of an eye. That's that's quick. Uh, That's how you understand it. So why would the Lord, for 2,000 years, explain to us that He's coming quickly? Well, I've had students in this school to actually come to my office. I had two girls one time came to my office and made a statement to me, Mr. Creech, we believe that what you teach is true, but we're not ready for that yet. We want to go out and have a good time. And one of these days, we'll trust Christ and we'll get saved. I actually had two girls to tell me that in my office. I'll never forget it. I was able to follow the future of those two girls for a period of time. Both of them ended up running off with these boys, and both of them got pregnant. Neither one of them got married and ended up in a trailer home with no one to support their livelihood. And uh, one of them called one of our former teachers uh, to come because she was in a lot of trouble. And the teacher goes to the door and knocks on the door and the young lady opens a young girl opens the door and she's got a bloody nose and a black eye where a boyfriend has beat her up. And she's got a little baby. And uh and that girl, I later in later years I'd run into her once in a while, and she'd be working at some of these restaurants around about town as a wait, waitress. And Um, it's just a tragedy how a person can use their free will and think that they can play games with God. And he says, I'm going to come quickly and I'm not going to tell you when it's going to be. Okay, if you really understand that message, are you going to go to a principal of a school and say, look, I'm not ready to get saved yet. I will one day. In the face of these words right here. I'm going to come quickly. In In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And you're not going to have time to start getting things right. You need to study these things and believe me, way early. And understand that I'm not the one you should fear. You are the one that should be feared because of that free will and what you can do with it. You can damn your own soul forever by the choices you make. I try to teach these things to these children in the school. Our teachers try to teach these things to these children. The greatest threat you will ever have in your life, of all things, and it's a mystery, is the freedom to choose. And so he says three times, behold, I come quickly the next thing I want to bring to your mind is <clears throat> what he says in uh, um, let's see verse 12 because it's the second time he mentions it if you look at it verse 12 and behold I come quickly and my reward is with me the final time that he says it's in verse 20 behold I come quickly but I want to I want to point out something to you that's critically important to notice in verse 12. He says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Now here's what I want to clear up, and I hope once and for all forever, at least for members of this church, because there's still sometimes people who've been reading the Bible for years that have not grasped what I'm fixing to tell you. And I think it's the truth. Uh, I believe it's the proper way of understanding this. And one of the keys to understanding why what I'm fixing to tell you is true and it's not wrong is because of what it says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Now, a lot of people think that the Lord is going to come as a thief. Uh, In the night... For believers, that is absolutely not true. Absolutely, it is not true. What thief have you ever known that broke in to give you a reward? What does a thief usually do? He comes to take that which is not his. The Lord says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the churches that have true believers in it. But what is not understood by many when they read that phrase, Behold, I come as a thief in the night, is that one of the main themes in this book is those in religious circles that think they're the children of God, but they're not. They have a false profession of faith. The very ones that crucified the Lord of glory were those who believed they were the children of God. They were the seed of Abraham, but they were not. The Lord was coming to them as a thief in the night. Why was He coming as a thief in the night? Because a natural man does not think of God the three creator as being the owner of everything. The heavens and the earth, the world, and they that dwell therein, all the silver and the gold, the cattle that are upon a thousand hills, everything belongs to Him. He's the creator. What do we have? Nothing. And all throughout the Bible, it's a theme. When you die and you leave this world, what are you going to take with you? Nothing. Not one thing. Not one thing. As a matter of fact, if you take your faith concerning me, you'll lose your soul forever. Forever. And that's why the Lord inspired the Apostle Paul to write Romans chapter 4 concerning what Abraham found. What did he find? Brother Charles preached on it just the other night. What did he find? He found the faith that Jesus Christ has in Himself to do what he said he would do. That's what he found. That is the doctrine of eternal security. That is the hope that we have, that we can trust Christ in terms of what he says he can do. And it's a great mystery. How did I get saved? I don't know. God himself said it's a mystery. The rapture is a mystery. There's so much that's a mystery. I don't know how I got saved and my other friends did not. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But I know it happened. And I know that it's very real. That There came a point in my life that I discovered this truth, this amazing truth of the faith of Christ. It's the faith of Christ. That's what we have to have to enter into this... uh, this doctrine of so great salvation is the faith and the confidence that God has in Himself to do what He says He can do. And so this is so critically important for us to understand. Now, I would love to be able to go into some of these passages and, and, and show you, but look at look at Matthew chapter 24. Let's just go to that right quick. Matthew chapter 24. And verse 43, the Lord is answering the question of the disciples concerning His coming back. He says, when are you coming back? And so He gives them all these signs. And let's look at verse 42, that helps connect it better. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And so you have to think about His coming quickly in the context of that. You do not know when He's coming back, but when He comes back, it's going to be quick. And so if He's coming back quick, then what kind of mindset should you have in terms of your relationship with Him? I'll tell you what it should be. Be always ready. And that's the meaning of it. Be always ready. Don't, don't count on yourself and what you understand or anything. You just be ready based on the message that I have given you from heaven about the need to get saved and know it. Because I'm going to come quickly. And there's not going to be time for you to start getting things right. You need to live right. You need to live right. You need to pray without ceasing. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to study every day. You need to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some do. You need to be here in the meeting. And then he says in verse 43, But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. What is a broken up house? A broken up house is a house where a person has all their possessions. All their possessions. Their lands named after themselves. My wife, my children, my car, my everything. My money that's in the bank. People that have possessions have to worry about a thief coming and taking their stuff. But what is the viewpoint of a Christian? Now listen to me. The viewpoint of a genuine Christian is, and we talk about this often in this church, why do we put a tenth of our income into the collection plate in the form of an offering? because we're acknowledging that 100% belongs to God. The genuine believer would never think of God as a thief coming to take what's not His. The genuine believer would be looking for the Creator to come that owns everything. The fact that you die and leave the world with, n- with nothing is the key to understanding this phrase. The Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. He's coming as a thief to people who do not know Him as the Creator. But for those that come to know Him as the Creator, what do we have? Nothing. We own nothing. We don't ever think we own anything. We know that He owns everything and that He will one day give us everything if we put our faith and trust in Him. The meek shall inherit the earth. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The believer's perspective of God is never as a thief. What do we know about a thief? We think of a thief as an enemy. An enemy. How do you think about a bridegroom? As an enemy? No. No but as the one that you love so much that you want and you desire with everything that you are to live with that person for all eternity to come. I'm telling you that one of the biggest mistakes made in churches today is preachers that do not explain this thing correctly. He comes as a thief in the night to the false professors in the church. He comes as a bridegroom to those that love Him and understand that everything that they have is His. Long as We have nothing. How hard is that to understand? Okay, let, we're not going to turn to all of these. I want you to just notice... Um, a couple of places let's go to Revelation chapter 3 let's just look at that one because our time is getting gone I'll show you how to properly understand it right here Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write Now, he's talking to the church. These things saith he that hath the seven stars of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works. Now, notice what he says. That thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Alright, notice the perspective, because if you don't, you're not going to understand the phrase that we're fixing to look at. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now what is he doing? He's addressing a church that's full of false professions, professing Christians whose works are dead. They mean nothing to him. Verse three. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received what, uh, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. How does he use the phrase as a thief? Folks, how can anybody read this and not see this? He comes as a thief to those that are dead while they live. Their works are dead in His sight. They have not repented. He says, "Repent, because if you do not repent, I'm going to come to you as a thief in the night, and you're not going to be prepared for that quick return. I'm coming quickly." Look at Revelation chapter sixteen. There, we even got time. We got just about a minute. Revelation chapter 16. The 16th chapter is the, is the vile wrath of God. It's the wrath of God is the subject. Um, and by the way, this entire Revelation is written to the churches. That's what we learn in the last chapter. Verse 15 Behold I come as a thief Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Okay Who's he coming as a thief to? Those that walk naked. Who's a person that walks naked? It's a person whose sin has not been covered by the Skin of the Lamb. That's who it is. He comes as a thief to the false professor of salvation. He comes as the bridegroom to those that truly know Him. So, go back to, and we'll close with this thought, Revelation chapter 22. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. Now notice this, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely and the very last thing it says is verse 20 he which testifies these things saith surely I come quickly amen even so come Lord Jesus listen God has given us his spirit and he's in us he's our life and it's the spirit in the bride that says come that's not to a thief This is love calling the object of our love Jesus Christ. Love. Love says, Come. Come when? Come quickly. Lord, come quickly. We don't say that to a thief. That's how you understand that phrase. Our time is gone. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. All right, this message, brother.